Yo, Parish Orphans of Retrogrades. You know what happened early this morning, and we're going to talk about it here. I, I've got my friend Joe. What's up, Joe? We're going to do some analysis, a basic analysis on what the heck came out of the Vatican this morning. Forced concelebrations, new restrictions on traditional mass and sacraments. Uh, how are you, bud? Doing very well today, Tim Gordon. How are you? I'm good. Personally, do personally doing very well, but there's a bit of a bomb just dropped today, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. And it, you, you and I have this this thing where you call me Tim Gordon. I call you Joe with your last name. I'm never sure if I'm allowed to say it. Boca's so. Boca's okay. My last name Boca's is Boca's okay. Yeah, you go. Yeah, so so fine, people yeah. out there, when when we're hanging out, Tim like, Gordon, Joe Boca. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a great number of syllables. Yeah, it is one 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 yeah. one two one one two. So yeah. so when we're hanging out, it's like it's a nice shot. If we're out shooting baskets, I'll say nice shot, Tim Gordon. I'll go. Thank you very much, Joe Boca. Exactly. <laughs> And I don't know why Makes we like great, it so much. great rapport. We're, just, we're, we're weirdos. I, don't know. Yeah. I can't but say it now, though. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, now that I know I'm allowed to use your last name, let's do it. Before we get too into it, I want to remind folks that now um, a new slew of courses on timothyjgordon.com are up on Retrograde Classical Academy. One of them will be constitutional introduction. That's really important because it's going to be the most important run up to a constitutional Supreme Court summer that we've ever had in America. We could get rid of Roe versus Wade with this Dobbs versus Jackson's women health case. So take my intro to constitutional law, or you could take the second part of the intro to Latin class. And if you missed it in fall, you can take the recorded uh, first part of the intro to Latin classes. Those are all on up. All on up. Is that a thing? If you go to the website and click enroll. Also, I think we're going to have a Tolkien class. That's not up just yet. Um, it's going to be really fun. Or a Tolkien seminar led by my friend who knows Tolkien better than anyone I've ever met. And uh, I think we're doing a church history too. We might do church history again. We're, we're looking at getting a whole, whole uh, corpus of extra classes, but those two are definitely up Latin and U.S. Constitution. Do remember, guys, as you watch this video, to like, subscribe, and click the bell. And um, I've got Joe Boca with me. Yeah, let me know when you want to do an Irish history class about it. Okay, Joe Boca. Even though you're yeah. a, an Italian doing an Irish history class, what I am sixty percent Irish, Tim Gordon. <laughs> it's funny. These are, my, these are my these are my people. They are your people. You're, you're, They're my people. Uh, yes. That's why you beers all the potatoes in my house. He got here. Yeah. That. <laughs> I checked like, my, uh, my pants. I have an odd request. Do you have any potatoes or? <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to have to do they like went without them for so long, you know? Yeah. The blight. Oh, the blight. Yeah. Oh, the peat. Um, yes, this is, this is a, this is an Irish history show. <laughs> yes, it is. Actually, it's not. It's, it's a, no, it's a Vatican no. new history show. So look, everyone's seen probably that's watching this. I would estimate on life site, the, um, much awaited article on LifeSite. We knew it was coming sometime late this week. It says breaking Vatican orders, forced concelebrations, new restrictions on traditional mass and sacraments. The document, uh, I'll just read the first couple paragraphs. It released, um, the release document restricts the traditional celebration of the sacraments, hints at a future withdrawal of permission to celebrate the traditional mass at all which is just gay, you know, they, they hinted that in Traditionis Custodis. Now they're re-hinting all these old Queens just, uh, they can't get away from the drama, the melodrama. They love it. This, that the buildup, the, you know, 
Suspense. Suspense. Yeah. Suspense. Yeah, that's so gay. It's so gay. This is what they're whispering, they're whispering sweet nothings in everybody's ear, but they're like, they're they're all threatening and they mean it. <laughs> they mean it. They mean it. They're like, it's yeah. it's gonna happen. There's gonna be, we're just taking away some of the TLMs now, and we're gonna take away all of them probably later. Or will we? Yes. Probably. Yes, yes they certainly yeah, they, will. So it's, it's, you know, the, the force can celebrations. I mean, I don't know. You, you probably think that's a bigger deal than I do, but, um, unfortunately, uh, yes, the other sacraments, uh, I mean, I don't know. I haven't even thought about that one that much. I'm going to have people screaming at me in the comment. comment. I'm just thinking about the actual TLM, which we've known. Steph's the one that pointed out to me on my eldest daughter's birthday, July the 16th. You missed a section here at the end. It looks like they're going to take this. They're saying they're going to take away the TLM altogether. And when the left promises, the left delivers. And they're, they're still making good on that threat. And they renewed that threat. And they will issue penalties for priests who will not concelebrate. Uh, Vatican launched a new attack this morning on the TLM when the Congregation of Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments released a responsa to 11 questions on the Latin Mass. The responsa implements severe restrictions on celebrating the sacraments in the traditional manner, as well as on priests who refuse to concelebrate. The document was signed by staunchly anti-traditionalist head of the CDWDS, Englishman Archbishop Arthur Roche. Isn't he supposed to be a a cardinal, to be an archbishop of a dicastery? Anyway, I, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm misremembering. It is dated December 4, but was published December 18. It was approved by Pope Francis in November. Well, I'll read a little more later, but first, uh, you go ahead and respond to that, Joe Boca. Well, I read, I read a good bit of it this morning myself, so, and listened to some commentary on it. So the restriction of the Mass itself, uh, I, this seems to have, like, like you said, seems to have a lot to do with uh, the restriction of the other sacraments in the, uh, in the old rite, one of which being especially uh, priestly ordination. Um, I, I would guess from there would be Episcopal consecration and things of that sort, which oddly enough, while a lot of, uh, a lot of our, you know, the people to the right, I, I wouldn't even say to the right of me, but people that might hold the uh, set of a contest position, for instance, they, they have probably the, the critique of the Episcopal consecration is probably the most severe of their, their criticism. So it's definitely a big deal. So one of the other, um, one of the other things that while I was reading it stood out to me was, uh, was the fact that you can't have the traditional mass. I don't have the text near me, but you can't have the tradition, the traditional mass at your parish listed as a, uh, as an ordinary Sunday mass or uh, among the other mass schedules. So it's, it's <laughs> it, from, from church bulletin speak, it, it just sounds like, uh, it, it sounds like the thing is being like genuinely put into exile, which it, which it had been, you know, for a long time, even with, even with some pontificum though, that was, that was more or less true. So at least like it was, it was nominally liberated, but, most of the masses uh, were obviously at awkward times and, you know, in an awkward part of town and, you know, just sent packing. And it, it, again, it, the mass itself was kind of kind of an ex- exile. What this what this does, though, the interesting that the thing that this does 
and that Pope Francis is good at doing is that I think um, one of the things that I think he does better than his predecessors who, you know, may or may not have been subversive. He, he is extremely honest. He knows that he's telling you exactly where he wants to go with this thing. He wants, he wants it, you know, he wants it as gone as much as it could possibly be gone. I'm assuming he doesn't want to blow the entire thing up yet because some um, that probably just, it would be a chaos and a catastrophe, but he, you know, he's, he's telling whereas, whereas Benedict kind of signaled both. I think Francis is like, no, I want, I want to get rid of it. And this whole exile that the mass has already been in is going to be, is going to be codified. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely more aggressive than, you kind of have to assume someone's ideological direction of travel to say whether or not they're being aggressive. We know what Francis is, is no one knows what the hell Benedict's plan was, which makes me thinking of, think of something I'll address in a second. But I mean, yeah, he's, he's honest, Francis more aggressive when he's not kind of too. There's also a response he made to the UN's Christmas document. They were saying, call it holidays. And he sounded like, one of us, Francis, and by one of us, I mean a Catholic. He sounded like you or I would sound, Joe, about, you know, he was he kind of talks salty too, kind of talks folksy when he's talking more common sense populist right wing. He was like, this is ridiculous. The church has been through this before. Europe doesn't need to hate on Christianity. And you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I remember one time he said, hey, if you're talking, you're doing dialogue with a secularist. And they insult your mother, the church, you poke, you punch him in the nose. Like you'd punch someone in the nose who insulted your mother. I'm like, that's kind of weird. There have been freak times throughout this pontificate when he uh, really, I don't just mean when he's calling his right-wing enemies in the church names. I mean, when he's talking about the real actual devil, he, he sounds more alarmed about it than, 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 you know, I don't know, recent popes, the popes of my early life. So so, yes, he's usually got his foot on the gas pedal, which he does today yet again. Every once in a while, you're like, oh, he's doing the thing where he is appeasing us. And he said something um, prior to the release of Amoris Laetitia, like, I am not a man of the left. I know the Americans think I am, but I'm not. And it's like, that's weird because he clearly is. So that does mean he's doing a little bit of the, uh, you know, UTEP two-step. At any rate, one thing I, I, I pitch this back to you, Joe. Benedict the 16th. I remember I, you know, you're a little younger than me. I remember when he introduced the re-Latinized, revitalized Latinisms in the Novus Ordo. Like we went from saying one and being with the father to consubstantial with the father and, and things like that. And he was like, well, this is because it's more Latin. He did this, I think the same summer or just a few months before he promulgated uh, Samorum Pontificum, right? And he's like, oh, I'm reforming the reform. And now Samorum Pontificum is what's really fun and, and happy for trads. And it's like, well, I don't understand why assuming his ideological direction of travel is right, right, like right wing. Why not just do what Francis is doing in reverse? Why not be like, look, let's, let's revisit, um, let's revisit Sacrosanctum Concilium. You know, we tried tried this goofy interpretation of Sacra Sanctum Concilium for the last 50 years. Let's just revisit it now and be really aggressive. Why is it always leftists that are aggressive? What do you think Benedict 16 was doing? The reform of the reform was really weak, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I have I have some some thoughts about that. We're going to get into, I, I guess, as I answered this, there might be a, a, you know, a quibble or two that you don't agree with, but all the same. So the reform of the reform and Benedict himself, I think I say I say this sometimes, I guess, on Twitter and whatnot. And it's not necessarily a popular position, but I, I, I don't think Benedict was moving in the right as, as in the left-right paradigm. I don't think he was moving in a rightward direction. I think Benedict was extremely confused because Benedict was, Benedict from when the, obviously from his, his younger days, his father Ratzinger and Cardinal Ratzinger, he was, he was obviously one of these, you know, modernist new, new theology guys. So he was, he was brought up and, and, you know, simmered in that for decades. He could, you know, he's CDF. Uh, he does some interesting things as, as, CDF as well. One of the uh, one of the letters, uh, not to not to jump right into SSPX or anything like that, but one of the one of the letters he wrote uh, in uh, making an agreement or attempting with uh, the Archbishop, he he allows for the the study of Vatican II as as the CDF. He allows for the study of, of Vatican II to be left open. So it's not. So he he's he on one end is try. He has kind of a. a a, a duality in his brain is kind of almost <laughs> to, to be charitable, this kind of schizophrenic theology where he wants to have this foot in the new theology, but he clearly has some, some kind of, of reverence uh, for tradition that he, he can't, uh, he can't condemn, he can't condemn the, you know, the new mass. He can't just say, let's re let's reinterpret and move everything in the direction of the 62 missile because I mean, heck, that's that's condemning decades and decades worth of of work. Whether you agree with the council documents or not, on the on the ground, the the work has been. Everybody could agree that the work is terrible. So you're not going to condemn decades worth worth of work. So I mean, as far as I could tell, his pontificate was just extremely confused. Then he resigns with some kind of odd idea. I, I'm not one of these Benny Planets. I think the position's kind of dopey, but uh, then he resigns with it, you know, but still, you know, retains the title of Pope in some respect. So his his theology and his ecclesiology is just kind of kind of awkward because I think he wants to maintain this traditionalist view while while also being like, well, but I'm still I'm still a Vatican II guy and I'm still I'm still with that spirit. And you could see it now. I mean, everything he's every time he's asked to comment on, you know, anything Francis is doing, he doesn't he, you know, he never says anything condemnatory. It's all in, in approval of, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no, no hero. Well, I, yeah, no, I agree with 100 percent of that. Not that I have to for someone to speak on this show. I've I've been on shows. Uh, some would say uh, two or three times a week, weekly shows, where the the host gets mad if if I'm disagreeing. I I know we're gonna we're gonna disagree when it comes to the sort of minority you versus majority uh, interpretation of what all this points us to is a signpost. But yeah, not. Not that man. I mean, Benedict is, you said schizo. He's got this, ger the Germans who are not super far left, the prelates, Mueller's got it too, man. And I've even, I, I don't think Brand Mueller has it. There's another decent German, decently sort of right of center German that has it too. But, but this is just, it's enough to say Ratzinger and Mueller. These guys have this weird, Teutonic schizophrenia. They've got big brains. They really do, these Teutons. But uh, and you could tell when they when they process, you could tell when they formulate sentences. You could tell 
in terms of the um, syntagmatics and the, the, the grammatical structuring in real time of the agent before you, the intellective agent before you, how, how bright they are usually. And you can tell with these Germans, man, they're sharp, but they are schizo. I mean, Benedict, yeah. I mean, Mueller, when it comes to being men of the right, sometimes you're like, that is so right on what Mueller said earlier this week about COVID and all that. Crazy good. I, I never expected it from him. Both of those guys, they don't know where to be. And Benedict's like, look, because I'm if you say reform of the reform, it's got a kind of fake and gay connotation now. You kind of have to laugh at it because Benedict was so uh reticent, so tepid, so slow, so angling, so inkling. But if it had been done the right way, it's just like, yeah, let's just go back to Sacrosanctum Congilium and get get a non risible, non-laughable version of that 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 should tend much more toward the latin mass and i don't think anyone would have anything to bitch about i really don't if you if you actually did sacrosanctum concilium which is somewhat vague in a in a just a common sense catholic way then um then i i just think there there would be no problem but and, and i also think something you said that's correct about benedict is well the whole reason that he stayed eight years and didn't fight back that much against Sankt Gallen Mafia, Lavender Mafia types who hated him, the Northern European Cardinals. I think he's allowed, he's kind of, it, it seems like in some way or another, he was only doing what he was allowed to do. And I mean that, I, I don't know, I'm admitting I'm speculating, either in the thick sense of allowed or the thin sense of allowed. He was kind of operating only within the wiggle room, his project of the reform of the reform, that is, that he was allowed the leash, the leash length that, that his um, masters gave him. And if you, you start calling me one of these kooks, it's like, look, I'm in the majority view here. I do think more likely than not, Francis is Pope. I do think more likely than not, you know, uh, about the SSPX stuff that I'm, that the majority views right. And the min minority views wrong, but I've never claimed certainty on those issues. I think those are just issues you can't not know, but I'm, I'm going with the, the odds here. I'm betting the smart money. And I still say it's pretty apparent now, almost beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Benedict was having some, some restrictions placed on him and he seemed to abide them. He was not uh, yanking his chain or rattling the cage too much. Yeah, and you, you, could, you could say that again. And um, to, the, to the point of you know, the SSPX and all that stuff and uh, whom I've been a defender of. And uh, you could, you could look out, I'll be having an article coming out in one Peter five uh, in defense of the good archbishop. But the, one of the things, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I think for what, what you said, and you and I have mainly disagreed on the, the juridical question of the SSPX. And I guess the, the, the Vatican two documents. Right. But so he was, Obviously, in a time, and a lot of people said this about John Paul II as well, because a lot of I, I don't know how true it is that a lot of people thought that JP two was kind of this this well-meaning individual who was just caught up in Romanita, Romanita, and all this stuff, and just had a lot of bad advice and a lot of bad apples in his ear. Maybe you know people would want to say the same thing about Benedict, but they are seem seemingly beholden to the the uh, the document on. Ecclesia, uh, not a, a ecclesia, uh, collegiality in Vatican II, which does it's it's does definitely in a certain sense 
have an impact on how, which is very, now, when you look at it now, it's actually very ironic because it's like, well, a guy like Benedict who might be moving in a, in a more rightward direction, perhaps that kind of understanding of collegiality as, as the Pope kind of in fraternity or just, you know, acting basically with, you know, with his bishops. And, and that's, that's the understanding. It's not, not this, you know, kind of not the Vatican one understanding of, you know, the Pope, the Pope using his authority that that would not have been received well on the part of Benedict because of that kind of interpretation and because of basically what was taught there. So you have collegiality and him kind of beholden to that attitude where any, any, he felt like no one could really move truly in a rightward direction. And then the, I guess the minute you try, you know, he's out the pasture like he is now, but and again, I mean, one of the one of the problems I have is, and this is going to be the the debate going forward, is whether or not, I guess the ref, the reform of the reform makes any sense, or whether or not the Novus Ordo and the whether or not the TLM is a condemnation on the Novus Ordo and vice versa. I would be in the, the affirmative on that that it is. But so when you're when you're kind of stuck in a middle position like Benedict is. Uh, this, this sort of thing seems inevitable to me. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I agree with that. I, I don't think that the TLM and the Novus Ordo, you know, I think the reform of the reform, if you did it in a bul bulwark, uh, in a really robust way, an aggressive way, it would be awesome. I, I don't think, I don't think you'd complain. I wouldn't complain. Uh, you know, the reform means anything, right? You, you brush up on a couple pen strokes in a document and it's technically reformed. So I don't agree that I don't think Benedict got forced out because I don't think he amped up, uh, or, you know, screwed up his courage and, and amped up the uh, aggressivity, the relative aggressivity of the uh, reform of the reform agenda. No, no, not that. Yeah, no, that, not to be misunderstood. I don't think that that specifically was why I got forced out anything about the liturgy. No. But more in a general sense, he didn't do much. And no, I'm I'm not a big, I'm not a big. Uh, I, I agree with what you said about JP two as well, Joe. I, I think uh, I trust Benedict a bit more than JP two. And look, here's the thing: both of us. It's it's funny. I, I want to go on with what else LifeSite said hmm. in a second because there are some some premises here that that should be read in terms of the the rescript by the Vatican. But you had, this is just sort of a human interest version of the same constellation of facts. You had a, a little, uh, I'd, I'd call it a little uh, ratioing on Twitter this week. I had one. Oh, earlier, did I ever, yeah. Week, <laughs> it was a, what, a week ago was mine and yours was a few yeah. days ago. Here, yeah. Here's the thing, man. I mean, where I don't, I don't even think you, and I don't know where you are on this, but I know you, you close to agree with me. Mine, for its part, showed that um everything i've been talking about the the huge cultural problems all of the cultural problems i'm always saying this to protestants out here who are baptists that are like no gay marriage it's like yo well, of course that's that's disgusting you know global homo gross it's really important but what's wrecking the family what's wrecking family values it is feminism they're like you know some people can wrap their head around divorce yeah 50% no it's not just that man it's among the 45% of people, the 55% of people that don't get divorced that first time or more. 
99% of those households are feminist, feminist run households. And they pervert. That's what's creating the global homo along with, I think, a worldwide elite class that's pushing it, but is the the unattractive view of their dad acting like a mom and their mom acting like a dad. I'm talking the ones that stay together. In some ways, it might be worse if they stay together, not sacramentally, not, not, um, not structurally. And guess what? It's as bad among trads as among whatever you call them, Novus Ordites, you know? And I've been saying this for three years. And then my book got released two and a half months ago. Case for Patriarchy. I always have, have a copy on hand. Case for Patriarchy. Buy it today. And I, after saying it for three years, look, the feminism is the main thing. All of that rot that everyone has seen in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, that, that there are, you know, trads are ascribing to the, the change in the mass. That's all feminism, man. That's all second wave feminism coming in. First wave feminism was bad, but it didn't show up till second wave feminism. The kind of secular conservatives, trad Catholics say, oh, it's just the council. I'm like, nonsense. You can show where this stuff, this is the feminism in the family. And you can Hell prove no. it because it's on both sides of the aisle. But secular conservatives, they say, oh, well, it's all the, the radical uh, sexual revolution that with, they're going easy on the, the, the less radical sexual revolution because they want to have premarital sex. The Protestants, they're the ones saying it's all gay marriage. It's like, well, none of you are wrong. It's all of those things, but much, much, much less than a mom acting like a dad and a dad acting like a mom. That's what's screwing everyone up. And no major partisan is saying it. And it's the thing that's making people irreligious and fornicate and be addicted to porn. And it's as bad on the religious Protestant right as almost as it is on the left. It's as bad on the secular right as it is on the left. It's as bad among trads, traditionalists, as among Novus Ordites. And my, my tweet that got ratioed earlier in the week just proved it. It was a combination of these e-priests and leftists, Catholic leftists, that were mad. And then, you know, a lot of them were, were trads out there with a bone to pick with me that would have gone out after any opportune moment. But, but it, they were legitimately saying um, Catholic feminist things. The feminism is what drove all of these problems and all this irreligiosity. And, and you know, the other, the other factors, including taking away the mass, were, were contributory in a minor way. That's, that's what I say. What do you say? Societally, you know, I'm, I'm with you on feminism 100%. Uh, as far as its impact on the culture, its impact somewhat in religion. I don't know, like, okay, so like, if anybody's heard me on your show before, they know I'm like, as far as like theologically, ecclesiologically, the whole thing, I go to an SSPS chapel, I agree with Archbishop Lefebvre. My Twitter ratio was that I, if, and I've done this before, so I, and you know, I, I do put my money where my mouth is. If I can't go, if I can't go to a Latin mass on Sunday, I don't, I don't attend. So I, I go to a Novus, I, I go to a, uh, I'm a TLM only guy. So people, people didn't seem to like that very much, but that's my view. Um, I'm honest about it. Anybody, you know, who, who wants to know why, and many, many people did want to know, but wanted to know why, but they didn't really want to know why in good faith, obviously. So for, from, what, from what I deduced from my Twitter ratio was that I'm some kind of Protestant or heretic, but <laughs> what one, so yeah, I mean, locks up with you, you know, feminism is, is endemic, uh, you know, anywhere, as far as the finer details of the tweet, yeah, whatever, but it um, one of the uh, one of the things one of the odd and I'm not sure exactly what the what the cause of it is the 
traditionalist position is, as stated, it's a bit, it's definitely more nuanced than, than pinning the entire thing on Vatican II, right? So that, I mean, if you, if you look at any, any of the society's articles, documentation, anything, uh, whom I don't speak for, by the way, uh, if you, uh, if you read any of they make you guys repeat that? Like every time you you talk? No, I just, I I have, I have, I have, I have friends who do, so I don't, I I don't like to step on anybody's toes, Tim. But uh, the um, the point the point is is that if you look if you read through any of the you know the corpus of of Lefebvre or the you know any of the priests, uh, most of the the brighter lay people they'll tell you that Vatican II was was in no sense the beginning of the problem. It was middling. I mean, you know, it was this. It was a and you might agree with this. It, it, and you might agree in practice. I agree in practice and in theory that Vatican II was was the coming out party for modernism. So the heresy condemned by Pius X. So the trad position is definitely not that the problem is Vatican II. The trad position is that the problem is the heresy Pius X defined as the swamp or the synthesis of all heresies. So it's modernism. So from there, we see... And whether, you know, look, obviously my, my own view is that there, there's the threefold um, case of error as for, you know, collegiality, ecumenism, uh, religious liberty, that those things, there are some genuinely problematic statements in the council there. All, but the whole, the whole point is, is that this is, this is an, an outgrowth from the modernism of the 1800s, not, not the start of it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, look, I got Taylor Marshall down that path. You know, we were going to write the infiltration together. He ended up uh, doing that solo. I'm, I'm writing, you know, our, our publisher kind of severed the book and said, let's have two on these with slightly different emphases. So people that remember TNT, that was that whole show was sort of premised around, you know, where I was I was I was kind of trying to gently steer. This is not Vatican II. This is Oh, and, oh, and long before Pius X, we're talking as early as Pio Nono, Gregory the Sixteenth. Um, oh, sure, actually, yeah, yeah. And, and, as early, actually, early eighteen hundreds. The more I've poked around and researched for that that third book, third and final book, I'm I'm currently writing the one that was split off from from Taylor's infiltration book at the time. So we're not talking late eight eighteen hundreds. We're talking early to mid eighteen hundreds in very specific ways. And I've always been the one to call uh, Vatican II was sort of the, com- the, the public coming out party, you know, the spirit of the Vatican II. But, you know, I, I guess for, for people watching at home that don't, don't really care, don't really care about um, canonical argument, and I don't blame them, canonical arguments, uh, which get trumped up, I think, in importance, SSPX arguments. So it's, a, it's a minority point of view. It's your point of view. I'm not, it's not one of those issues that hops me up or makes me mad. Um, I'm just a numbers guy and um, I've, I've assessed the arguments and it's like, look, I think there's a very, very, very small percentage chance. These, these could pan out these arguments, but they're, they're unlikely demographically within the church, the church of faithful Catholics. If you count society as faithful Catholics, then yeah, then yeah, it's a minority view Um, in terms of, the requirements, the uh, 
the argumentative uh, propositional requirements of the premises of the SSPX requirement, it would be ecclesiastically minority. It would be a first ever. And first ever is a kind of rare. But I, I've never said it's impossible. And I, I've just, you know, not gotten um, nearly as involved as my, my friends, like my brother or, or my friend Michael Boris or church, church militant in that because um, I, don't, I don't think it's a 100% thing. So for people at home, when they're looking at what happened today, you know, this new document today in conjunction with the Traditionis Castonis document on July the 16th, I'm just saying, look, here's the majority way to view it that most of the, you know, Cardinal Burke, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Bishop Strickland are going to look at it. Raymond Arroyo, who's, who's something of a firebrand, and he had on Peter Kwasniewski on World Over two days ago, which is interesting. Um, so Raymond Arroyo, you know, Ed Penton, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Brandmuller, you know, the two 100 percent of the surviving Dubia brothers, uh, Bishop Strickland. That's that's what mostly people want to know. Like, OK, there's there's a slight chance it might be a little more of a the, the fringe position might be right. But I, I don't think that's the case. What do they say about the following lines? Uh, let me read the LifeSite article and let me read it, it quotes um, today's rescript. The document, says LifeSite, was uncompromising in its attitude toward the traditional ceremonies accompanying the seven sacraments. Uh, block quote here. Is it possible, according to the provisions of the motu proprio, Traditionis Custodis, to celebrate the sacraments with the Rituale Romanum and the Pontificale Romanum, which predate the liturgical reform of the Second Vatican Council? One dubia, official question, asked. Negative was the, the congregation's response. It stipulated that diocesan bishops can only grant permission to use the rituale Romanum, and this permission is only to be granted in canonically erected personal churches, such as those of ICKSP, FSSP, Institute of the Good Shepherd. I've never been to one of their parishes. But here, so I think what the majority response is going to be is, is this, like I told you guys, like I told you, Joe. Steph's the one that pointed out that I'd missed, even when I was doing the show on July 16th, a passage in Traditionis Custodis, which looks ostensibly like the most important one. This is just the beginning, not the end. They're going further. They're going, Francis is carrying us back beyond 2006, 2007. He's not just setting us back at that place in the timeline at a pre uh, Samorum Pontificum state of affairs for tradition-minded Catholics, he's going to go more aggressive. And look, not five months later, Francis, like you said, Joe, has made good on it. So what are, what's the majority takeaway for Catholics to do? It's this. Assuming, as I'm now assuming, as I've been assuming, that we're all going to wind up uh, forced to be Novus Ordo, and they're just going to try to take it away, uh, the, the TLM, in any way, shape, or form. We've got to make a stink. Right. When we're going to those masses, it's got to be like I did with my parish that's 90 seconds away. Liberal pastor gave a horrible homily. I haven't <laughs> I haven't talked to him since then, but I'm like, this was horrible. You know, I mean, I recorded the conversation. I was thinking about releasing it, but I don't think I will. Um, and he told me, look, don't come back here. So there they are benefiting right now. The heretics in the Novus Ordo pre, uh churches they're benefiting 
by having the Latin mass people segregated, right? Because most weeks we Latin mass people were somewhere else. We only wind up at a Novus Ordo if we can't get to a good one that week. Uh, and so they don't have to deal with us. And that's what he said. He's like, oh, I know you go to New Orleans. Go there. Go there. I can't be your pastor. I'm like, no, no. In a way, the silver lining in all this is we all go. We all show up. Women in veils, six, seven, eight children in tow and complaining. We're going to have to get ready to complain every week. It's kind of fun in a weird way. Uh, we all know trads like to be squeaky wheels online. This is a chance to do it when they're not anonymous, you know, with behind their real face and their real Avi. So that's, I think that's what people are going to have to gear up for. If this is where this is going, that's, that's what I say. And of course you can, you can articulate here. What would be the, uh, the very minority view of uh, basic, basically the SSPX position, which will be something to the effect of stay home or something like that. Am I right? Oh, it depends on what, you know, stay home. I, I, okay. So I wouldn't advise per the, per the society's line, you know, for the, for the most part, I mean, it, that, that, that the whole idea is that the Novus Ordo by and large is, is a, an objective kind of danger to your faith. And we could kind of, you know, since, since its implementation, we've only seen how many priests and how many lay people just can, you know, the mass exodus from the church, the, the Novus Ordo, uh, paradigm the whole principle which which it relies on is 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 the self-destruction of of the, ch the church itself which i mean paul the sixth himself said he said the church is you know the church at this point is in uh, quote-unquote auto-destruct mode so and then i mean obviously it's, it would be easy to accuse somebody like me of, of a, a post hoc argument and yet if if i tell my friend whom I'm out to dinner with that I'm going to, I'm going to punch you in the face. And then I punch him in the face. He shouldn't be surprised when, when I punch him in the face. So when you have guys like, you know, Archbishop Bugnini, whom we know was the, the architect of the, the Novus Ordo, when, when you have him saying the whole idea was to remove, you know, quote, remove even the shadow of a stumbling block for our separated brother. The whole idea was especially for the new mass to fit into this um, Calvinist congregationalist type of worship. And you see a lot of, uh, uh, Michael Davies wrote the excellent book on the, the first of the three in the liturgical revolution series. You see in Cranmer's Godly Order, how the, uh, how the Novus Ordo, the, how, how the, the transition, if you call it that, from the traditional mass to the Novus Ordo really mirrors that of going from the Catholic mass to the, Anglican service, uh, which which Thomas Cranmer after the death of Henry VIII imposed, and that there there are you know I would recommend anybody to read the book. There's a lot of historical parallel there, and and what wouldn't you know it? You have less mass attendance. You have heterodoxy among Catholics. You have over half of the faithful not believing in the real presence in the Eucharist. You have everybody believing that. Gay, gay marriage is acceptable. They, especially in America, they all they all vote Democrat for the most part. So I, I don't. So this, you know, I've heard even guys as you know, like Bishop Williamson, who would say perhaps somebody can nourish their faith in the Novus Ordo because there are sacraments that that, that the real presence is there, the Eucharist is there. I've never, you know, I've never disputed that, but 
under ordinary circumstances and based on empirical evidence, it's basically provable that the, the, where the Novus Ordo is, there is not faith. That, that, is, that has been the case. And that, that, that's why, um, to, to the prior point, that's why I believe that the whole idea of, of uh, mutual enrichment and reform of the reform is, it, do, it just, it doesn't work because you're, you're, it, it's a lot like trying to square the circle, it seems like to me. So I, I don't see that. That's why I thought Benedict was confused. And I, I don't see it as, as the, the end, uh, no way to solve the, solve the crisis we're in. And if we want to go, if we want to adhere to Vatican II, Sacrosanctum and all that, it says foster existing rights in every way. And the traditional mass, as we still know, was never abrogated. So as far as I could tell, it needs to be fostered based on the ecumenical council. Yeah, that's de- but that's definitely, as you, you said it would be, there's definitely a post-hoke argument because of something that I've addressed till I'm blue in the face. One, uh, I think most faithful Catholics that go to the Novus Ordo, some, sometimes I'm there, right, at, at this little church 90 seconds from my house that I try to avoid. I definitely don't like it, but I, for one thing, I know as an objective fact that it's wrong, that it's a risk to, to faith. Right, it can be highly contributory under certain circumstances. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. But it's not because it's not to me. All it ever makes me want to do is, you know, as it's always done, make me go further, further into the faith, uh, the, the Nova sort of further. It makes me angrily go the other direction. So you can't say objective. You know, people, people maybe of weak faith, like I was when I was when I was growing up in it. Uh, some of them like it and go charismatic uh that that's kind of weird to me i think people that incline toward the intellect uh who see the novus ordo tend if i had to typify i would agree they, they tend to be driven away by it but then for me once i found before before some more pontificum i found the tlm a long long time ago you know a bit many before many many of the people watching uh knew what a tlm was I started going and for me, it was just a touchstone. It was like, wow, the faith is true. That's what I get from the TLM. It's like at a subjective level, it's, it's never an objective level. I just think, wow, this is, I just like this way more. And it seems way more consistent with what I think. And I can't prove it. What I think reverent worship is. So I started taking the faith way more seriously in my middle twenties and had a five-year journey back to the faith when I was 29 ish. So, but but the, my faith doesn't waver once I then I go to a, a Novus Ordo, even a even an annoyingly or badly done one. Um, so it's not an objective, uh, it's not an objective danger. And there are, you know, what we call uh, the unicorn masses. The, those are fine. Those are those are not even an ostensible danger. And then, of course, um, the main point, the big elephant in the room that that I I keep bringing up that. I, I tend to be a little bit early on these things, but I think you're going to see it more and more and more. And I, I think I'm going to be more and more vindicated. What was happening with second wave feminism uh, was women, women were taking a leadership role in their households and that destroyed everyone's religious faith. And this is partly the subject of my tweet from last week, right? When women, try to be the priest, the prophet, the king, the evangelizers of their home. Brookings Institute says it makes everyone in the household, it makes the kids in the household lose their faith. When the father does his job, as was done 
all throughout the 20th century up until right around the time of the council. The, the start date of second wave feminism is dated at 6970. So that, that queers your whole, that queers the whole theory that all, oh, you know, the world is falling apart because, because the TLM went away. That, that's, if, if you didn't have that, then I would be much more like univocally, there's nothing else that could have caused all this because your, your facts and your figures, you, well, all you can prove is a correlation, right? You can say, look, people stopped going to church and from 70 to 80, 80 to 90. It's just a fact. But what was happening, that is a slam dunk that Brookings Institute publishes. It's like 80% attrition when the moms are bringing people to faith, to the church. It's like almost no attrition at all when fathers do it, is moms took over families and started being the evangelizer of the household. And no one listens to their mom on that type of thing. No one really listens to their mom on faith and morals, the papa things. They tend to be the pope things. Um, you listen to your, you want a hug from your mom, right? You want your dad looking out for your physical, your spiritual and your moral well-being. And of course your mom is too, but kind of standing behind your dad, giving you hugs. So if not for the, fe the feminism thing is just inestimably large and it queers all of that, uh, propositional traditionalist, uh, equation mongering. And I'm not afraid to, to, to look at those facts and say, Hey, what's going on? Why did everyone lose their faith? But it's feminism. It's feminism. And, and like the Brookings Institute is not a right-wing institution. We know the father has to be the one that cares about the faith. And I think there's some confluence of forces there. As men were getting more and more cucked in their households in the 70s, as this stuff was being implemented, also then you had this, you know, I, I don't like the Novus Ordo. I, you had this whatever it was, this new novelty. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start throwing slurs at it, but you have this new thing that looked extra effeminate. It looked really Protestant and whatever. But I mean, my whole thing is just look, reject the kind of Protestant recreationalization of the liturgy on either side. I know that I recreate more, look the term up. I recreate more. I'm much more enjoying myself in the TLM. But I, you know, my, my enjoyment is not the measure. The measure is whether or not one believes, and this is, I'm, I'm talking to the parish orphans and retrogrades out there now, one truly believes in the, uh, the real presence of the Eucharist. Because if the Lord is there waiting for us, even though I don't go to SSPX, I'm guilty of this too. I, I usually don't receive it in Novus Ordo Parish. I haven't received it in Novus Ordo Parish in a long time, aside from one very faithful half Latinized church in Chicago, Father Tom. Uh, uh, that was maybe the only time Can't that I've received in years. And the Lord's waiting for me there. You know, it doesn't really matter what this goofy priest is doing. If, if he is what he what he's doing, if it actually amounts to what Trad say it amounts to, like Mortelson, why well, I'm I'm not formally cooperating in that. So I'm not responsible, and I'm not and I'm not even uh, proximately materially cooperating in it, right? It'd be remote material cooperation at most. So I'm not on the hook at all. So it's still Jesus giving me all the graces of the Eucharist. And I might not like what happened in the mass. Sometimes we actually turn down the volume on the sermon in these COVID, COVID masses if we wind up at a, at a Novus Ordo, just like, I can't hear that. But 
Jesus is Jesus and he awaits us, you know? So that's, that's the, um, you want to talk about what these defenders of the Novus Ordo do that they kind of facts they can't get around. I, I think I actually agree with all of them or fans, enthusiastic fans of Vatican II. Some of my, I have some friends like this. I agree with you, but the fact that, uh, that can't be gotten around from, from SSPX or some of the rad trads is the fact that unless you're willing to go balls to the wall and say, this is not, this is not Jesus in the Eucharist at a Novus Ordo. If you're saying that's Jesus, it's like, dude, I'm not, I'm not leaving Jesus waiting for me. That's why I'm even rethinking my no, no Eucharist at Novus Ordos, especially if we get stuck there every week now uh, following this due to the third precept of the church. And then it's like, I'm going to hate it and I'm going to yell at the priest after every mass but I, you know, I at least have to, the, the fourth precept of the church is you got to receive at least once a year. And I don't want to only receive once a year. So it's Jesus, you know, that's a hard thing to get around. Presupposing your position, arguendo, as it were, uh, it makes sense that you would rethink your position on receiving at the Novus Ordo, because if it's just, if it's just in this, if for you, as you seem to state that it's just a question of aesthetics, which in themselves can be, a, you, you can say one thing is, is aesthetically better than another. Anybody, you know, we all know that Beethoven's better than Katy Perry, but even if it were just a, a question of aesthetics, it would make sense for you to reconsider receiving at the Novus Ordo then, because then for, in your case, then it's a kind of recreate, recreate, you know, making recreation out of the, the TLM, but there's real, no real difference. My point is when I say when I say objective, no sacramental difference. Yeah. Yeah. No way. Correct. Right. So but but uh, when I say objective, I'm saying that you could look at the text and this is another this is another show. It's probably another series of shows. Right. But if you looked at the text of the Novus Ordo versus the text of the, the, the traditional Latin mass, you are seeing the de-emphasis of the telos of the mass, the end of the mass, what the mass does. I said once that. um uh, again, it was on Twitter, but the, the, the liturgy of the mass really ought to be a kind of Eucharistic creed. We are about to do, we are about to do this. This is what the mass does. And the, the main argument against, against my position on, on the Novus Ordo was, well, G, like you said, Jesus is waiting validity. Jesus is there. It's valid. Great. Uh, you believe that fine. Right? Yes. But but it, but it, it, does, it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not, because it's all these, some people were, were honest enough to say that, well, okay, uh, Jesus is at the Novus Ordo, but Jesus is also, Jesus is also an hour away from me at the St. Pius V. Jesus is also at the Eastern Orthodox Mass. So validity in and of itself, as in Jesus in the Eucharist being, being in the tabernacle, validity of itself isn't, isn't um, sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient. And then well, but, I, but I, you don't I address what I mean by... The, the, Orthodox, um, the Orthodox, you're just... Yeah, I'd be saying the same thing if you were allowed to receive there, but you're not allowed to receive there. You're allowed to... Re you're, the, the church is literally making it so that the only place that you're allowed to receive the Eucharist is... Uh, the Novus Order. That's that's the, that's the purpose of this show. So it's it's, it's not yes, it's you're, not you're correct to then. say it's not it's not necessary and sufficient by itself. It's not sufficient by itself to per say se. 
per se, but you also need lyseity, yeah. which is obviously the, the whole point here that we're, we're just assuming that because the church is telling us explicitly the only mass that a Catholic's going to be looks like is going to be allowed to receive at is the Novus Ordo, which which sucks. None of us are happy about it. Right. We're asking what to do then. So that's why I didn't include it. And also quick, quick other point, Joe, Joe Boca, uh, the telos of the mass is the real presence of Christ in the. I mean, I the, re, the, repre the representation of the sacrifice of Calvary, as it in, were, in the Eucharist, in the Eucharist. Well, the whole thing. I mean, it, it's body, blood, soul. Divinity. One of one of the one of the most uh, important parts. That might of be the, the ergon. I think one of the I one of the most important one of the most important parts of the Mass, as we know, is the offertory and, and the minor elevation. The offertory, mo most of which, not all of them, but most. The, and here's here's another thing too, just not to get sidetracked, but a lot of people who were tweeting at me about the Novus Ordo, uh, you know, well, it can be said reverently. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I I hope every Novus Ordo is said reverently, but the exception proves the rule. So th that somebody is telling me that it well, it can be said reverently. It never is. I mean, frankly, I don't really care that it can be said reverently. It's not. It's it's irrelevant to their case. So it, it, in fact, I said it's one of these arguments that if you make it, it turns around on you and, and it, it ends up defeating your own position. But one of the one of the most important parts of the mass, again, is the offertory and the minor elevation. The whole the whole point is you have the real presence in the Eucharist is that Jesus is there. Right. But it's also integral to. Be, OK, because it's literally Calvary. Right. There's really no distinction between Calvary and the mass aside from the unbody nature of it. Because it's the same thing, the important part of Calvary, or what you know, the, one of the most important parts of Calvary is the atonement and the the fact that the fact that our sins were basically were made good in the eyes of the Father, which is the one of the points of the offertory and the minor elevation. The whole the sacrifice. When you say sacrifice, sacrifice obviously has to be made to somebody. It has to be made to the Godhead. So any sense in which you're and the mass being a sacrifice, any sense in which you're de-emphasizing that, which is which is obvious when you look at the missiles, any sense in, in which you de-emphasize that, you are obscuring the, the telos of the mass. And as far as the one of the other points of feminism goes, and, and which which I agree. So I agree that my position wouldn't necessarily be well, we we're speaking about the mass because the mass is pertinent today, right? But my position wouldn't necessarily be that. The reason that the church is, has hemorrhaged priests and hemorrhaged faithful, it's not the mass alone. It's heteropraxy, heterodoxy is everything. So it, it's feminism being part of it. You know, so I, I would I'd be happy to concede that the fact that hem, fem, feminism has had a, a drastic impact on the fact that, you know, most people aren't going to church. But it's uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's by itself explanatory. But just like I'd say, I don't think by by itself the the liturgical changes are explanatory. It's one part of it, but it's not it's not my entire case. I think I think that would be that would be too too simple of a of a case for me. And again, I mean, uh, if some if somebody wants to tell you that you know that we're going to make the Catholic Mass more Protestant, then it becomes more Protestant, and then the the belief of the faithful becomes more Protestant. This is no odd thing. So, yeah, well, I mean, so there you have it. I mean, that that's that is the extreme minority view within, you know, from 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 Joe Boca, my friend who attends the SSPX chapels uh, with with whom I agree about most everything else. And I, I think it's, 
it's a hermeneutical thing. I, I don't, I mean, I, I know most people watching only have one context for that. These terms actually mean something outside of Catholicism, people. In the constructive view, the interpretive, uh, the, the interpretive sense, there's, there's a fundamental fork in the road. I don't think it comes from intellect. I think it comes from will, where one chooses to interpret all of this queerness, strangeness uh, that we're living through. And I don't, again, I don't just mean Catholic stuff. I mean, the whole configuration of the world, you know, the COVID stuff, two years now. Um, you, one picks and, and it's like a will, you know, and within Thomism, there's this whole, Joe, you now know this. There's this whole debate between the intellectualists and the voluntarists. Goes back to Thomas's day. Like, is the will, just, there are like these five steps that go into making every decision, five or six, depending on take Eleanor Stump's view. But it's always the intellect at the first part, the will. Then it goes back to intellect for the second stage, will. It's like 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B. It always goes intellect, will. The ones that are strict intellectualists, uh, Thomas tends in this direction, but he might not be strict. He's basically saying the will just kind of ratifies what the intellect puts before it. I think there's a strong case, and it's shown to me more in these liturgical debates. For the will, people don't want to, people that are on the minority view do not want the majority view. And by majority view, I don't mean just, you know, your kind of uh, radical, you know, surfboard Joe in his in his sandals and his cargo shorts at the Novus Ordo. I mean, the, the knowledgeable folks at Novus Ordos, there are, there are a lot of those and um, that, that know the, what the hell we're talking about. So they don't want that majority view. And, and, you know, the intellect cross fertilizes it in this incredibly intricate way. It's not any fun to listen to me talk about, and I couldn't pull apart the threads for the listener, even if I tried. But there's, there's a big component of will in all this. And it's like the most fair characterization I can possibly give as you know, somebody with a moderate-sized apostolate with a, with a YouTube show, Rules for Retrogrades here, is to say, look, I think, I think Joe's uh, fairly, fairly characterizing in a winsome way because you're, you know, you're a cool guy and a, a good guy and a smart guy. The, the minority view, I think this is people, people that are watching that are like, I don't know so much about this. They can listen to, to Joe Boca and say, okay, this is, this is pretty much, um, this is pretty much a, a good, a good representation, a faithful representation of how a, a, a very good dude who loves our Lord, loves the sacraments, loves the church can, can wind up basically, you know, feeling how you feel about never go to the Novus Ordo, even if it means violating the third precept of the church. I think it's very typical. And then my view is I think a, a pretty winsome, um, view on the other end of the, the majority view among people that do love our Lord, love our sacraments, love the church, love tradition, and, and have, you know, never loved the Novus Ordo, never had any love for it, always resented it. But, um, you know, under the, the uh, administration of obedience or like, this is, I guess, what's going to happen now, um, you know, no cancer patient wants to undergo the treatment. So that's the best that I can do. And I, that's what I try to do is give people, you know, not, not straw man, not, not malign. Cause there are, I've, I've more, more friends that attend SSPX chapels than just you, Joe Boca, but there, there are some, you have some more friends than just me. What's that? I thought I was your only friend. Yeah. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. SSPX. Or not. On it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fine. See you. It's like Michael Scott. I'm, I'm excited to finally have a friend. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I have, I have quite a few friends, uh, other I people was. that have joined the show, not under the auspices of SSPX, 
that no way apples. Yeah. yeah. So I you, met, as a, you, you got to admit, though, and, and not with these friends. Uh, they're from Bakersfield who have come on the show a couple of times. I won't say who they are. They, they go to the chapel. Sure. They used to go to St. Michael's in Bakersfield. But SSPX tends to be the LeBron James in the room. I mean, forget any of the ecclesiology. It just tends to kind of breathe up all the air. And I think this is why people are kind of like, eh, you know, I, I just after the last couple of years, people got so sick of Francis that in, you know, 2018 2019 people were giving it a second look and then it's like whoa this isn't it tends to kind of like be the guy in the room that it's like everything you got to talk about my acting career the fact that i was in the nba or whatever it's like okay everything we want to get to the church you know writ large and um and so what, what's cool about those guests i had on what's cool about you you know most of the time joe boca is it everything does <laughs> i'm cool all of the time not, not all of the air ends up getting breathed up by this, this really fringe issue that's, you know, a very minority position that's, that's been really, really vociferous, you know, and from a, from a special interest point of view, good for them. I mean, that's to, be a, to very, be a very small minority and to make yourself big. That's from a kind of evolutionary biology perspective, good for them. But people are kind of like, okay, this is, this is a, a, a fringe thing. Who knows? stranger things have happened Maybe i would agree it all turns out to be right but i, I would agree that the issue is far outsized as far as the as far as the, the attention and, and energy it gets i guess because people know that i go to the society people and, and by people i mean like on twitter and um you know the fact that i have to write an article about it and talk to you about it and stuff like that i guess that people know that that's kind of like my thing i guess people want to talk to me about it, but it's funny because privately I'm usually talking to trying to talk to Tim about uh, pull-ups or like novels or something like that, because I'm just like, I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm like, all right, I could finally not talk about this. So I'm like, can I, can, can we please talk about something else? You know what I mean? But it, it, it is interesting. And I, I do, uh, I do revere, um, especially the person of Archbishop Lefebvre a fair bit. And uh, most of my, most of my article will be on that. And uh, the the case vis-a-vis -vis canon law, and I mean, it but beyond him, I miss what you said. Uh, Archbishop Lefebvre's actions, um, as they relate to canon law and and logic and uh, and things of that sort. But one of the one of the odd things about when I was writing writing it was, uh, which it's not it's not out yet. But uh, one of the strange things about addressing this issue is it's 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 like a lot of the arguments have been made already. So it's just a, a lot, you know, it, it, it just kind of, it kind of is what it is. So I'm just trying to do my best to give it a, a good spin on, you know, an argument that people have been having for quite a while. Um, it, by the way, if uh, just a, a quick note, if, if I, if I thought I was telling anybody to uh, violate and we could, this is another debate, uh, just more of just, a, if I thought I was telling somebody to violate the third precept of the church, I would never do it. But uh, you know, uh, it, it stems from my belief about the the liturgy per se, but you know I know we disagree on that. But all the same, uh, when's your article coming up on one Peter? 5? I don't know when. I don't know when it's coming out. I just is know one Peter five now exclusively SSPX articles because I, I looked just the other. I, I haven't read it since Steve Skojic gave it up, or really much even before he did. I, I read a lot for five years from 2014 to 2019, but I looked at it the other day and it was like, 
five out of seven, five out of eight articles on SSP. Did they? they There's a, a debate series going on about it right now. Okay. So that's, go yeah. To, it's way outside. So that, that, that's, that's the idea. So it's a big, you know, it's, it's obviously the hot button issue. I'm glad you brought up Steve though. Uh, so one of the, one of the things I was having a private conversation with a friend and, and we uh, said, do we, it, this is rough um, on people that people like him, especially who just want, you know, who feel like the church is, is failing them. And it's an eminently understandable position existentially and emotionally. Uh, I would, I would urge people though, to guys like Steve, whom I like, uh, I've never met him. I've never really, I've spoken to him like very briefly, but guys like that and people who I, this stuff doesn't bother me internally at all. Cause I just like, I do other stuff. Right. So like, if I'm going to go to my parents' house or if I'm going to go do jujitsu, like I'm not really thinking about what Pope Francis is saying. Right. Uh, but people that are upset by this, I would just, you know, I, I would urge, and I, I can't solve this in, in a minute, but I would just urge that, re, you know, remember that, remember to make the distinction in your head between doctrine and dogma and human beings make that distinction. It's because it's valid. And we did a lot of talking about the problem of evil and just remember that none of this is logically incoherent. It's, it's, you know, it, it's as much as you might feel it and as much as it might be terrible. And I, I truly believe it is. And I'm sympathetic to that. None of this, none of the bad things that we see going on in society right now, don't, they all make sense. You could make sense of them in a literal way. It's a little boring. It's a little cut and dry, but if you devote the time and if your intellect is there and if your will is there, you can yeah. make sense of this. And that's it. Yeah. And, and, you know, follow, follow the logic. And I, I promise, I promise the logic will serve. I've always thought of logic and reason as if you're in a bad way, uh, logic is basically, it's your lifeboat. You know what I mean? It's not much, but it, it's always going to keep you afloat. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're not, if you're not incontinent, if you're, if you struggle more with impulsivity, as Aristotle says, than weakness or incontinence, then logic will be your, your lifeboat. And that's just a temperament thing. I'm the same way. If I'm in a bad way, just show it, show me. And it's like, I'll get back on. I, I struggle much more with impulsivity than weakness. Aristotle's old thing. Some men are just weak, you know, they get addicted to the porn and they just can't get off yeah. it. And it's like, I mean that, that that you know we we all have guys strengths and weaknesses. But yeah, you had you had Elliot on your show, man. Guys, go like, dude, go lift weights, go go lift weight, go go train jujitsu, go do all that stuff because a any of it is just any of this because I just know that it's the you know because I, I'm I'm not immune. Things are the you know the world being the way it is, the church being the way it is. It's not necessarily easy to cope with, but go do these things because they're not just distractions; they're virtue building. And they're going to make you happy. So just right. go like, I, I just go do it. You know, one thing about Steve though, since you brought him up, Steve Skojic, I like him too. We've actually never met and got dinner because he used to live in the desert five hours from me. Now we, he lives further, but we always had plans to go get dinner with the wives because I'd always travel through Arizona and never, just never did it. But we talked on the phone and, you know, we've talked a lot behind the scenes and I know that, there a, a sort of paradox arises. He was raised very closely in the church. And I know, you know, he's talked some about his time with the legionnaires and his family, his family's uh, role in the church and things like that. I, I don't want to mischaracterize it because I don't have a perfect memory, but 
there's a paradox that like he was in it. We're about the same age. He went through the church. And now that he's seeing all the things that we all saw in the eighties and nineties, like in Catholic school, I saw it. And I just, my family was in, you know, in the church, but it was mainly my mom bringing us. So me and my brothers always just pantomime main shadow puppets and, and sang taste and see and all those ridiculous songs. So we kind of, Grew up not really believing it, not having the supernatural faith, which I've talked about a lot. And so then I got into out into the real world, saw how stuff worked, and then saw that the conspiracy of the real world is that it is all covering up the truth, the light, the salt of the Catholic Church. It's all trying to mute it out. And you know, the and the that that truth is really best expressed liturgical form by the TLM. We agree on that. And then I, so then I started going to the TLM in my mid twenties. I'm 40 now. Right. And then it's just like, Oh snap. That was like a five year back to the faith began intellectually for me. Cause intellectually was what I thought was so ridiculous about it. it was all these nuns, liberal nuns, women teachers and theology. You know, my mom was the one bringing me women ran parish life. I just young men and young women don't take that seriously. None of my friends I went to Jesuit with that I can think of still have the faith. Um, none of the people I went to, um, you know, grade school or, or middle school with Catholic schools have the faith. So it's like only a few of us came back to it. I might be one of the only ones. But when you come back, then you're like, oh, I've already been there, done that. The secular world is, is built on a lie. It's built on atheism is the sham that everyone's laughing at. The Luciferians who seem to run the world, they're laughing at the atheists because the atheists think that the smart people, they end up sounding like Dawkins and Dennett. They're, they're dopes. Gosh, um, They're dopes. That's how I always, anytime I used to do the, the, the debates against the atheists, which is kind of part of how I got my start doing public stuff years ago. Um, People would just be like, I've never seen a Christian guy debate an atheist guy like he's a dope and that you're the smart guy is like, this is this is the whole thing, man. So Steve, what I'm saying about Steve, I think, I don't know. I don't know if he'll see this or what, but I think he's going through it in reverse. I think he just kind of bought in really early and I don't know, blocked out all the funny business of the spirit of Vatican II in the 80s and 90s or something. And and maybe maybe he, he found the Latin mass before I did. I, I can't remember, but it's like he's going through it in reverse order and it's worse to get the doubting in your 40s than it is in your, I got it when I was like nine years old. I'm like, I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe sister, you know, Tiva sandal over here. I don't believe it. So it's kind of like chicken pox. You want it when you're young. You don't want it when you're old. And I think he's going through it when he's old because he didn't go through it when he's young. In this era of the church, I think everyone kind of goes through it young or old early or late and it, it's it's actually easier on us if you can avoid killing yourself or living a crazy atheistic lifestyle or you know getting whatever you know stds dying of heroin whatever people do when they don't believe in god i never you know i was just kind of stuck to the natural law but was a secular guy a secular young man uh grade school middle school high school undergrad college i was like oh, i love i was kind of kind of a neo-stoic and that kind of kept me hewed to the straight and narrow the shining path in most ways and then i came around to see the truth of the faith later so i think steve's going through a hard time because he's going through the doubts that can only follow upon 
the church going into this weird dormant phase that it's been in since the 1800s, right? But we don't even have a, a strong pope to lead us out of it or to warn it the way Gregory the 16th, right. Pius the eighth, Pius the eighth, Pius the ninth, Pius the tenth, Leo. Um, they were at least warning us, but they saw that the the Pope that the, the church was going to this dormancy phase. So I, I think that's what's going on with Steve. That's my attempt at explaining. But like you said, the problem of evil is not a real philosophical problem. It is a poet's ver. Uh, it is a, a poet trying to be a philosopher. It's intellectually toothless. And um, the problem of evil, even evil that's seeming to preponderate more now than ever, that can all be explained theologically and eschatologically. Yeah, yeah, that I think that's obviously true. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is, uh, you know, well, I guess the, it's more wait and see from the fruity, effeminate um, prelates who run our church. Wait and see. They like to... As you said, Joe Boko, whisper sweet nothings into our ear about what they're going to do to us vis-a-vis -vis the liturgy. What what horrible thing. Remember, people. I don't want to know. You don't want to know. Many times <laughs> a man tries to whisper sweet nothings to you. You don't want to hear. Remember, though, Francis is a mean-hearted guy. Okay? Right? Just remember that. That's something we can all agree on. He is a well, mean, he's nasty, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's nasty. He is nasty. This, he's enjoying it. He's calling them, you know, coprophagiacs. These people eat excrement. That's what he's saying about his enemies. They eat excrement. He's bitter. Remember, they, he passed out in Casa Santa Marta. Uh, he, he thought that uh, they thought he had had a heart attack. He was out for 10 minutes. He's passed out red with rage because he was so mad at Cardinals Mueller and Burke, uh, you know, but before Amoris Laetitia came out at the first family synod. He's a really rage-filled guy. He's a really political guy. And he's re he has a long memory. One of his best friends from life says he has a long memory. He'll never forget. He'll never forgive. I, I don't know if he said forgive, but he definitely will never forgive. And he's getting, he's getting the trads back. And remember, in 2015, he called trads rigids. In 2016, he called them he said they have dig, dig. They have psychological problems. In 2017, he started, you know, with all the disgusting coprophiliac, coprophagiac stuff. This is not how a holy man talks. And um, he's, 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 he holds the reins of power. I don't know why the conservatives don't do this right back, but he holds the reins of power and he is not going to squander it. So, so the, the point is pray, have faith. If we do all get forced into a Novus Ordo, you go and you do what Pope Francis wanted us to do. Make a mess. You make those Novus Ordo parish priests. If they're given bad homiletics, you make them pay. You just, they got, you got a line of 20 people. You're going to have to hear from each one of us every week. Are you clean up? It's, your going, it's going two ways, Tim. What? It's going two ways. You're going to the Novus Ordo with you. You can come to the TLM with me. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, the ones that go to the Novus Ordo, which is like everyone, right? We're, we're going to get forced into this thing. Everyone's going to get forced into going. Yeah. You know, all the people we'll going to We'll, we'll take you. They aren't going. No, I mean, but, okay. Yeah. FSSP, oh, no, I mean, I don't know if some of them will go. I'm not sure. I'm just saying. These are people that broke away from SSP. Open, open, open invite. I made some of my best friends at the SSP. Open invite. <laughs> Joe's a nice guy, but obviously the people that I'm, attend. I'm not at every. Yeah. I don't buy locate, though. I'm not at every chapel. 
now, like like Santa Claus. Yeah, no. No, if you're FSSP, ICKSP, you go to a um um I'm talking to the majority now. You you know, you got your you got your fringe people, but the the diocesan Latin mass people, the reason you you go, you're you're hassled, you go at 2:30 p.m. in a secret room, you know, at the end of an alley where they make you go, or an FSSP or an ICK, you drive. The reason you go is because you want to you want to be in you want to have full full uh uh, uh, communion with the church. And so those people, you know, most of them anyway, likely aren't going to change just because Francis delivers, he delivers what he promises. So those people, if the worst should happen and it looks like it's going to, and you wind up never being able to go to a, a TLM again sometime in 2022, I'm telling you right now, look at this show. You go, it's Jesus there. Not even, not even Joe disagrees there. You could still go get Jesus and you're going to have to, going to have to cope as they say on the internet. And, and you cope by acting out a little bit. Okay. If this priest is acting like a jerk during the homily, you're going to have to tell him, you know, in, in a, in a spirit of filial piety, you father, this ain't going to fly. Cause now you got all the veiling people here. Now, now you got all the people that you, you, you turn yourself around on that altar and you, uh, you consecrate facing you. So you might not listen, but you tell them they're cowards, they're weak, they're effeminate. They don't like it. The, the liberal Novus Ordo priests have benefited more from having the TLM than almost anyone because they like to just have the dopes going to the Novus Ordo that like the clapping and like the, the clown show and like the, the, you know, the, the anecdotal homiletics. I don't need to hear where you're the last time you went to a flea market, Father. This might be the best way to reform the Novus Ordo is by getting all those trads in those pews right. and complaining all the time. About you just complain. <laughs> squeaky wheel gets the grease. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. And um, it doesn't work on, on Twitter or social media or internet platforms. It does no good to just, you know, go on and sign a petition. Oh, 7,000 legal scholars have petitioned Holy Francis. He's never going to look at that. He'll trash that. The priests, subsidiarity, the priests on the ground, my priest 90 seconds away. He doesn't like Tim Gordon showing up at his parish. I don't like Tim Gordon showing up at his parish, but some weeks I have to, Stay right? Because of, of the, the third precept of the church. I can't miss mass just because I want to. So I, I go, I show up, and I, I have to tell him off. And it's very uncomfortable for him. He's blushing. So at least there's that. That's light at the end of the tunnel. The big light at the end of the tunnel is you still got Jesus in the sacrament by anyone's estimation there. And, um, you know, the sacraments are all about Jesus anyway, not about us, not about the priest. Okay, so with that, Joe Boca, thank you for joining me in this analysis about what to do should the worst happen. I think it's actually going to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tim Gordon. Yeah, you're no, always good. Oh, and you know, so you and I are going to do a conversation about kings and and uh, aristocrats and uh, f- failed monarchs and republicans and re- failed republics called democracies uh, on your new show. Tell us about that. And then we got to get out of here. Oh yeah, I got a little YouTube channel. You, it's, the link is in my Twitter bio. I am at here to help one eight eight on Twitter. You could see the link for the Here to Help podcast. I've done a couple episodes with Boss. I've done uh, Boss, who we've seen on your show. And I've done one by myself. And yeah, I've got your, your uh, Mr. Tim Gordon booked. And 
our mutual friend Charles Kulo, and we're going to do a little monarchy talk. So uh, feel free to go click the link, go watch some shows. Yeah, it's good stuff. Okay, cool, cool. And follow also, me on Twitter too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Follow you on Twitter at here here to help. That's nice that you're here to help. By the way, here to help. Here to help. One eight eight. Yes, people can refute the degree to which I actually am here to help, but remain species. All right. Well, God bless you all. God bless you, Joe. And people, stay faithful. Day is full.